We are delighted to be joined by the brilliant author and retired chair of Systematic Theology and Philosophy at the Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando. Hello and welcome, Dr. John Frame. Good to be with you, David. What's your listeners? Thank you so much. Before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. Frame. Well, yes, I was raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I taught at the uh, Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, and then uh, for 20 years at Westminster Seminary in California, mm. and then for the last for 17 years at the Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, Florida. I've been retired for two years. Uh, but I've uh, been writing books all this time, and uh, <laughs> uh, I have another book just coming out. We are all philosophers. Um, tell us a little bit about the book. Well, the book uh, has seven chapters. Uh, I, I taught uh, philosophy for all my life, and uh, in 2015 I published a great big fat book called uh, A History of Western Philosophy and Theology. Yeah. And I, after I finished that, I thought, well, maybe I ought to be able to to write something that's shorter and easier and more suited to people who are beginning uh, the study of philosophy and beginning the study of theology. So uh, I, I intentionally de- decided to write a much shorter book. Uh, I hope that it's simpler. I hope that it's easier to follow. But of course, philosophy problems are among the most interesting and uh, so I, I'm hoping that uh, this will be a book that uh, ordinary people who haven't studied philosophy will be interested in and will find uh, helpful to them and uh, it discusses uh, some topics of real spiritual importance where God exists, uh, uh, how we can know uh, the world, uh, how we can live our lives. Uh, uh, and uh, in, in social ethics, what are my rights and what are your rights? And so there are a lot of questions in the book that uh, uh, come up in the newspapers and uh, in our general uh, social discourse. That's brilliant. Dr. Frame, I'm, I'm actually a good test for how accessible a book normally is. And if I understand it, then we know it's going to be OK. And I found the book to be very accessible. So <laughs> we're on to a winner with that one. Oh. That's very good news. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I love about it is how you sort of instigate discussion points at the end of the chapters. Um, it'd be a great little book for small group studies. Is that what you had in mind as you wrote it? Well, yes. I, I found the book was coming out to be even shorter than I had planned. So yeah. my editor suggested that I add discussion questions and uh, bibliography. There's uh, some bibliography and then the my editor with Lexham uh, uh, thought that it might be useful to add at the end as appendices uh, some materials from my book of letters. There's a book of the theological correspondence of John Frame, and uh, some of those letters are about philosophical topics. And so uh, my editor thought it might be good to include some of those letters at the end of the uh, at the end of this book, uh, which would uh, uh, expand a little bit uh, what I write mm. about the same problems in the book before us. So, uh, and I thought that was a good idea. Yeah, so uh, was, yeah. uh, that's what, what the book consists of, the uh, 
original book plus all of those study guides and and helps uh, plus the appendices uh, uh, in the form of letters. How would you describe philosophy? I mean, in simple terms, what is philosophy? Now, uh, philosophy is the uh, exposition and or defense of a worldview. Now, most of us have worldviews. We look out the window and we see a tree and we see some cars, but most of us have an idea beyond that uh, yeah. of what the whole world is like, what, what the whole universe is like. Yeah. And some people think that it's all just material particles uh, flying around in space. Some people uh, think that it's a supernatural world of and demons. Some people think that there are many gods. Some people think that there's one god. Some people think that the, uh, the world is just a reflection of my own mind. Uh, many different worldviews and combinations of worldviews. And philosophy tends to deal with those broad questions. Uh, science deals with uh, more specific, concrete uh, questions. Uh, uh, how long does it take the sun's rays to uh, get to the earth and that kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, philosophy deals with more abstract uh, questions, questions about whether the universe is material or metal, uh, questions about what the whole universe is made out of, uh, and uh, so when you get those real broad questions, you're, you're dealing with philosophy. Yeah, and yeah. of course that overlaps uh, to, a, to a large extent with theology, because mm. uh, both these disciplines deal with God, both of these disciplines deal with the nature of human beings. Uh, both of these disciplines deal with uh, uh, the uh, general structure of knowledge. And so uh, uh, there is quite a bit of overlap between philosophy and theology. Mm. Is philosophy... Is philosophy... Philosophy. (laughs) Dr. Frame, I've got to put my teeth back in. (laughs) It's philosophy. Is it... (laughs) Is it something that all Christians should be, um, you know, attracted to and something that all Christians should be studying? Well, it depends on, on your, uh, the way God has gifted you. Uh, yeah. Not everybody is uh, gifted for academic-type study. Uh, not everybody is, is equally interested in uh, abstract, uh, whole universe, worldview-type questions. Sure. Uh, so I think not not everybody needs to uh, study philosophy at the university level. Not every Christian needs to uh, be involved in uh, uh, in abstract uh, uh, meditations. But uh, because uh, philosophy overlaps with the gospel, yeah. overlaps with the content of the Bible. And every Christian has an obligation to hear the Word of God and do it. And so uh, we all must be theologians, and uh, if we are all theologians, then we are all philosophers to some extent also. So I do think that every Christian uh, uh, needs to uh, be involved in philosophy at least a little bit, if not not the abstract... uh, uh, academic level, but at least to the, at the level of dealing with 
basic questions, and that's where I tried to focus my attention in the book we were discussing. Sure. I love I love the story that you tell at the beginning of the um, of the introduction about a young man named Colin. Um, he came up to you and he yeah. asked you about the basic composition of the universe. And you said at the time that you fumbled your way through the answer. I'm interested to know how you answered that question back then and how you would answer it today. <laughs> I can't remember exactly <laughs> what I did back then. I was just so amazed to have an uh, 8 or 10 year old boy yeah. asking a question like that. Yeah. I was completely <laughs> unprepared for it. But, you know, I went back, I went down and talked about the common answers, you know, that the world is made up of molecules, which are made up of atoms, which are made up of protons and neutrons, yeah, yeah. and so forth, <laughs> but uh, how eventually it's, uh, you know, there's a deep well of mystery there. We get to a point where we can't chop the universe up into smaller and smaller particles. We don't know what we're going to get, but it's God's world, and uh, God has the right to say what it is, and the uh, and that's basically the same answer that I give in the book. I, I probably, I certainly didn't express it very well uh, when I talked to the young boy. <laughs> but uh, the uh, but but what I say in the book, of course, is that uh, the uh, uh, universe. Uh, once you get down to the smallest particles, you you reach a mystery. And uh, part of that mystery is you can't even describe what a proton is unless you're able to make comparisons between protons and similar things that uh, uh, we have in our regular experience, like billiard balls and uh, tennis balls and, uh, and planets revolving around stars and things like that. So in order to describe the smallest things in the universe, you have to have an acquaintance with the largest things in the universe. But in order to understand the largest things in the universe, you have to explain them as being made up of the smallest things. So the larger things are related to the, are relative to the smallest things, and the smallest things are related to the larger things. uh, eventually, uh, the picture that I keep getting is that uh, this world, uh, you, you just cannot identify uh, the largest things in the universe or the smallest things in the universe. They are all related to one another, and that reminds me of the fact that uh, the world is made by God, who is both one and many, Uh, He's one God and three persons in the Trinity, and the persons of the Trinity are all one God. They can't be explained without God's oneness, and you can't understand God's oneness without his threeness. And so there is a kind of reflection of the Trinity, which we discover when we uh, try to understand the composition of the universe. And uh, that, uh, uh, to me, uh, says that, uh, uh, you know, this is, this is a question that God has an answer to, and we just have to trust him by faith, as in so many other uh, philosophical and theological questions. Yeah, it's fascinating. You, you mentioned earlier on that you've tackled seven major questions in this book. What were those questions, and what was your favorite question to work on, Dr. Frame? 
Well, the seven questions are first the uh, basic composition of the universe. Uh, then chapter two is uh, the question of whether we have free will. Uh, chapter three is the question of how we can know the world. Uh, chapter four, does God exist? Uh, chapter five, uh, how shall we live? That is ethics. How do we make our ethical decisions? Uh, chapter six is uh, how, what, what are our rights? Uh, so often in political discourse today, uh, ethics is discussed in terms of uh, the rights of this group of people or that group of people. And then the uh, seventh question uh, uh, is, uh, how can I be saved? That is, how uh, can we uh, escape the evil, uh, the sin, the ugliness, all the bad things in this world? Is there a path uh, to redemption? And, of course, at that point, I present the gospel and uh, try to lead the readers to trust in Christ. What was your favorite chapter to work on? Well, from different points of view, I, I think the last chapter, of course, is the goal of the yeah. book, and uh, so I wanted to be very careful, and uh, and uh, I, I had had more of a loving hand, I guess, in, in drafting that one. Yeah. I, the one I have the most experience with is the third chapter on the, uh, how do we know the world, epistemology, uh, what that's all about, and uh, uh, but but all of the chapters are, are things that I've written about before and uh, have taken a great interest in. Fantastic. You mentioned chapter two um, is about free will. How how do we um, make that work with a sovereign God? Well, we know that uh, uh, we have free will in the sense that we can often do the things that we choose to do. Now, we can't always do that if somebody ties my arms to the chair, I, 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 I might like to take my arms off the chair, but I <laughs> yeah. can't do it because I'm, <laughs> I'm bound. Uh, so in that case, I don't have free will, but uh, in most cases, I have the free will to move my arm when I choose to move my arm. And that's basically what free will is. That's being able to do what you choose to do. But uh, some people, and this is typical of philosophers, this is why I included this in the book uh, uh, about philosophy, Mm. Uh, people want to take this to a very abstract level, and they say that uh, uh, moving your arm uh, cannot be a free act unless it's totally without any constraints or any causes. Well... The way I look at that is that if moving my arm has no cause at all, then it's not connected to my desires, Mm. not connected to my will, it's not connected to my choice. So if that's what free will is, it's uh, not really a choice, it's a kind of accident. But the Bible says that uh, uh, when I choose to move my arm, uh, there are causes to that. Uh, there's the cause of my own desire, which I mentioned before. And, of course, Jesus says that whatever we do uh, comes from deep inside the heart. Whatever uh, uh, you know, we do evil, it comes from an evil heart. If we do good, it comes from a good heart. So there really is a, 
an inner cause of everything that we do, and yet that doesn't take away from our freedom. It's a, a choice that we make. And then further, the Bible teaches that the, uh, behind all of our choices is the uh, decision of the sovereign God, mm. who uh, from eternity past has uh, determined uh, everything that will come to pass. Ephesians 1, uh, verse 11, for example, uh, Romans 8:28, that God makes all things work together for good. So God's sovereignty is behind my choice. And that, uh, some people would say that that takes away my freedom, because uh, you can't have freedom if you have any causation at all. Uh, but uh, the Bible never takes it that way. Uh, the Bible says that uh, God hardened the heart of Pharaoh so that his evil uh, decisions were uh, uh, influenced by God. But that doesn't take Pharaoh's freedom away from him because he chose to do wicked things. And uh, uh, he is the one who is to blame for the wickedness, for the evil. And so uh, uh, the Bible teaches both things. The Bible teaches that uh, uh, our actions are, at least often, uh, our own choices, uh, freely chosen by us, but nevertheless... They are also constrained, they are also caused, first by the condition of our own hearts, and secondly, uh, by the eternal decisions of God himself. How, how do our prayers affect a sovereign God, Dr. Frame? Well, when God uh, planned uh, everything that comes to pass, uh, God uh, determined that some things would happen because of other things. Yeah. Uh, God determines that, uh, for example, that uh, this day in September will be a, uh, a warm day, and he also determined that that warmth uh, will be caused by the sun. And so uh, God, uh, when God chooses what's going to happen in history and in nature, uh, he sets up a causal sequence. He decides not only will this be a warm day, but it will be a day that's uh, where the warmth is caused by the sun. Hmm. Similarly, our prayers are among the causes of things that happen. Uh, when uh, a friend of mine uh, is uh, uh, sick and, and is healed, uh, God has determined that the uh, uh, he will be healed. But God has determined that uh, uh, his healing will come, in many cases, through medical science, uh, through a doctor, through a, uh, or through a kind person who ministers to him, mm. or through the prayers mm. uh, of the man's friends. So God ordains that prayer will be a means of accomplishing things, in the world that he has created. Are there any unsettled questions in your mind that you're still striving to find an answer for? Well, that's a surprise. <laughs> that's one of the questions that I have expected to, to get and probably don't have a good answer for. Uh, well, uh, you know, I, I'm always bewildered by uh, the relationship between uh, uh, God's goodness and holiness and uh, power, and of course, the fact 
that there is evil in the world, uh, it still seems to me, as it seems to many people, that uh, uh, it is certainly strange that there should be so much evil in a world that's created by a good God. Yeah. And I do deal with this question in the uh, chapter on free will, because many people say, well, uh, the evil in the world is caused by human free will and not by God, and uh, there's some truth in that. Uh, certainly the Bible teaches that, uh, according to Genesis 1, uh, evil came into the world through a, uh, a wicked uh, uh, serpent being, the devil, uh, Satan, mm. and uh, then came into the world through uh, the choices of Adam and Eve. So there's certainly a, a, a lot of truth in saying that uh, uh, that evil came into the world uh, by uh, human choice, by human free will. But then that just raises a further question. Uh, if God is behind human free will, and I think he is, uh, how can it be that uh, uh, God didn't uh, prevent uh, Satan from rebelling? How 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 can it be that a good God would not prevent Adam and Eve from making the wrong choice? Mm. And uh, I, I I don't really know the answer to that question. I think the Bible responds to it in three ways. Uh, there are a lot of threes in my theology <laughs> and philosophy. So the three ways are, first of all, what I call the normative answer, that, uh, that uh, we don't have any right to, to question God's motives. Uh, uh, who are you, oh man, who replies against God, uh, uh, Paul says in Romans 9. The second answer, which I call the situational answer, is that uh, God ordains evil as a means of attaining a greater good. Uh, that's Romans 8.28, but uh, God makes all things to work together for good to them who are uh, called according to his purpose. And the third answer, I, I call the existential answer, uh, is that God is going to... Uh, purify our hearts on the last day when we're in heaven, when we're circling around God's throne and singing God's praises. Uh, I think of Revelation chapter 15 uh, where all the saints are standing around God's throne and they're singing great and marvelous are your works Lord God Almighty just and true are your ways uh, King of the Ages uh, and uh, it's interesting. They're 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 not they're not accusing God of uh, evil. They're not uh, questioning God's goodness or God's judgment. They're they're just uh, saying uh, without question, uh, God's ways are just and God's ways are true. And so we have the promise that one day we will all be persuaded of that, yeah. uh, even though we can't. Uh, come up with, uh, you know, we're not God, and we're not, uh, we won't have all the answers, but nevertheless, our hearts will be changed, so that on the last day, we will not have any inclination toward criticizing God, but uh, our only inclination will be to praise Him because of His holiness and justice and truth truthfulness. Yeah, that's really good. Those, those are the, those are the, uh, uh, you know, what, uh, biblical 
multiple ways of dealing with this kind of question. Mm. And there's a lot of chapters in the Bible that deal with evil. Uh, the book of Job is about yeah. this. The yeah. ninth chapter of Romans is about this. And, and uh, this is not, uh, these are not uh, kind of ironclad uh, philosophical, logical arguments, but they do help me to uh, understand a little bit of uh, the role that sin and evil play uh, in uh, the great plan of God. Yeah, brilliant. Who have been the biggest influences in your life, Dr. Frame? Well, the biggest influences in my life uh, are, of course, my parents and my family and the uh, and my teachers, especially when I was studying at the Westminster Theological Seminary, I studied with Dr. Cornelius Van Til, uh, who was a professor of apologetics there for many years, and uh, he uh, helped me to see a lot of these uh, philosophical and theological questions in a new way, in a much more biblical way. Mm-hmm. And I would recommend uh, Dr. Van Til's writings. He died in 1987, but uh, I'd recommend his writings to anyone who wants to uh, get some uh, some teaching in depth uh, into the Bible's philosophy. If people are still talking about your work in 500 years' time, what would you hope that they're still discussing? Jesus will have come before 500 years <laughs> in time, but uh, if, uh, if people are still mentioning my name, I hope that they're, my, my main emphasis, and this is Van Til's main emphasis too, is that uh, our thoughts are part of our discipleship. Mm. You know, people often think, well, my ethical decisions ought to be done as a disciple of Christ, I I ought to keep the Ten Commandments and so on. But, uh, you know, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 is whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And in the Bible, that includes our our intellectual efforts as well, Not, not just what we think of as moral and ethical, but our intellectual efforts as well. And so Van Til's emphasis and my emphasis has always been that we need to bring our intellectual efforts, our philosophy, our academic work uh, under the scrutiny of the Bible. And uh, I hope that uh, whether people think of me 500 years from now or not, I hope that people have that thought in their mind that the uh, that's what God expects, according to the scriptures, that we uh, bring all of our uh, all of our thinking, all of our reasoning, all of our logic, uh, all of our attempts to gain wisdom, bring all of those things under the uh, authority and scrutiny of God's word. Mm, that's excellent. Really good. You, you mentioned earlier on that you've been retired for two years, Doctor Frame, but you you also mentioned you like to keep busy. What 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 else have you got going on at the moment? What what else can we expect to see from you? Well, I don't think I'm going to be writing or publishing additional books, but uh, I'm working with my colleague Steve Childers, uh, who uh, is head of an organization called. 
pathway learning. And Steve uh, would like to take uh, some of my theological works and some of his own uh, writings and some of his own thinking and put it together into uh, a, a series of, uh, of volumes, a series of uh, uh, study guides yeah. that will help church planters, particularly in the third world, but particularly people who don't have access to traditional seminary training. And uh, this will be called Applied Theology, and uh, he'll turn these into uh, five-minute videos with uh, animation that can be put into many different languages of the world. Uh, it's, a, it's a really major project, yeah. and he wants to make use of the uh, theological writings that I produced and, uh, and make that uh, a part of that project. So I, I'm hoping that, uh, that that can get uh, going uh, over the next few years. That sounds really exciting. We'll look out for that. Dr. Frank, thank you so much for your time today. We've really enjoyed speaking to you. We'll put a, a link into the, uh, you know, so people can purchase your book through the uh, Amazon. Um, is there any way of people getting in touch with you? Do you do any of the social media um, platforms, Dr. Frank? Well, I'm on uh, Facebook, and uh, I, I, I have a uh, website that I share with Vern Poitras, who's another thinker that is really uh, very useful for yeah. Christians, very, very brilliant man, and uh, uh, we share uh, together this website called uh, www.frame-poitras.org, uh, Poitras is spelled P-O-Y-T-H-R-E-S-S, so the website is www frame f-r-a-m-e hyphen poitras p-o-y-t-h-r-e-s-s dot org and uh that that has a lot of our shorter writings on it and uh is very helpful i think for uh, anyone who's uh and then of course you can look up my uh bibliography there uh and uh, uh look, look us up on amazon we have uh I think there's a frame page there and there's a Poitras page there. Ah, great. Well, I'll, I'll make sure there's a link to your website in the description below as well. Dr. Frame, thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. Thank you very much, David. I've, I've uh, enjoyed uh, talking to you as well.